The Biden administration admits that they might be having some problems down at the border, so we'll talk a bit about what's going on with that and where that's going to go. One of the Young Turks hosts decides to get all in on the recall of Gavin Newsom, so we'll talk a bit about what's going on there. Charges are rather dismissed in the case against Breonna Taylor's boyfriend, so we'll talk a bit about the implications that go along with that. And a new study comes out and says what all the rest of us have been saying about the minimum wage hike since they started talking about the minimum wage hike way back at the beginning of the Trump presidency. I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary. Good morning, ladies, gentlemen, non-binaries, progressives, republicans, neocons, neolibs, if you guys want to come back here. And of course, my freedom-loving people as well. Welcome to Contemporary. My name is Jay Edgar. We've got some stuff to get to today. It's been a little bit of a slow news day, but definitely still some stuff to talk about here, and we will get to all of that in just a moment. But before we get started, head on over and check out my friends over from the Freedom Scoop Media Group. Our website is still under construction right now, but in the meantime, you can still go and hang out with my friends the generational gap of whom john came and helped me last night with elaine having a family emergency so definitely good on the generational gap thank you guys for coming by and hanging out and hanging with me and john and talking about the news and we will see elaine back again next week but you can also find the daily ignoramus the breakdown with birkenhoff the r-rated conservative and the Freckles and Brit Show. Come on over there, pick up some of our swag, and help us support great creators once we get our website back up and running. All right, looking in at the markets for the day here. The Dow went up yesterday, ending at 3180244 after having a, you know, for this term at least, a fairly substantial update. I believe it hit a record intraday, too. So we'll talk probably a bit about that as we move along. And see what happens with that. Looks like the futures are going to come up too. So we're going to see the markets rise just a little bit more. As the stimulus gets out and people start getting excited over the fact that we're going to have ourselves some free government money. Alright, looking at the Bitcoin however. Bitcoin is up again now. $54,161.50 US cents. Probably reacting a little bit to the inflation that's going to be happening from this new stimulus bill. So, And of course, people are looking at this and saying, oh, well, I'm getting $1,400 worth of free government money. I'm going to throw a little bit in Bitcoin and see where it goes because it looks like it's been on the up and up. So some people got into this early and some people are probably going to win. Consult your financial advisor before you buy into anything, but definitely worth taking a look at. All right. Let's look at what the gas is up by me here. Looks like Costco and one other one, Race over uh, in Sun Prairie as well, are hanging at that 245 mark. But it appears that fewer and fewer are hanging at that 245 mark. Looks like the 249 is going to be the benchmark throughout the Madison metro area, and that is slightly lower than where it is where I sit. But, you know, that's what happens here. We get closer to the border and a little bit... Uh, Further away from the Metropolitan Center, and sometimes we do get a little bit, uh, we do have to pay a little bit more in gas, but that's what we're seeing right now in the Madison area, 249 per gallon. Let's look at what IBD has to say. Dow Jones futures rally, tech stocks surge as yields fall, Apple Tesla set to snap back. 
from Scott Letonin. Dow Jones futures and S&P 500 futures were squarely higher early Tuesday, while NASDAQ 100 futures surged as Treasury yields fell from recent highs. Apple and Tesla were set to snap back with sharp gains on Tuesday, but former hot stock Stitch Fix plunged more than 20% in overnight trade. On Monday, the Dow Jones Industrial Average advanced point, uh, 1%, or 306 points, the blue chip index hit a record high before cutting gains. The S&P 500 slipped a half a percent, while the tech-heavy Nasdaq composite tumbled 2.4%. So your industrials are up and your techs are down. Among the Dow Jones leaders, Apple rallied over 2% in pre-market Tuesday, while Microsoft also moved up about 2% in today's stock market. Disney advanced out of a buy range, while Visa remains in buy range above a new buy point. Tesla surged nearly 5% in pre-market Tuesday, looking to snap back from Monday's 5.8% dive. After the close on Monday, Stitch Fix reported mixed fiscal quarter two results. Among the top stocks to watch, Alphabet, Polaris, and Westlake Chemical are holding up well in the current stock market correction. Microsoft, Polaris, and Tesla are IBD leaderboard stocks. Alphabet was featured in this week's Stocks Near Buy Zone column. Westlake was Monday's IBD stock of the day on the futures. Ahead of the stock market open on Tuesday, Dow futures rallied 0.4% while S&P 500 futures gained 1% versus fair value, NASDAQ 100 futures surged 2.3% versus fair value, and remember, as always, actual trading on Dow futures and elsewhere doesn't necessarily translate into actual trading in the next regular stock market session. The 10-year Treasury yield advanced as high as 1.606% Monday before closing at 1.596. The 10-year yield fell to about 1.535 on Tuesday morning. On Saturday, the Senate passed the $1.9 trillion Biden stimulus plan. House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer said the House's plan to vote Tuesday on the Senate version of the stimulus plan. Then it will go to President Biden to sign, and you will get your free money. Or, in my case, it will get cut up and sent with a profanity lace letter back to the government. Reminding them that they can't afford it. Alright, let's see what CNBC has to say. Continue without supporting. NASDAQ futures jump 2.5% as bond yields retreat. Dow futures gain 170 points. From Yoon Lee and Maggie Fitzgerald. Stock futures jumped in early trading Tuesday after bond yields declined, causing investors to buy the dip in beaten up technology shares. Dow Jones Industrial Average futures rose 179 points or 0.6%. S&P 500 futures added 1%, but the big move was in futures for the tech-heavy NASDAQ 100, which climbed 2.5% after losing 2.5%. Tesla shares popped at 5% in pre-market trading, while Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Netflix, and Alphabet all gained at least 2%. Tech shares are set to rebound from sharp losses as bond yields stabilized. The 10-year Treasury yield fell more than 6 basis points to 1.52%. It traded as high as 1.62% on Monday. On Monday, the Dow rallied more than 300 points on investor optimism about the economic comeback from the pandemic, yet tech shares didn't participate on Monday, with the Nasdaq composite shedding 2% as rapid rise and rates caused investors to rotate out of pricey tech shares. 
the tech benchmark closed more than 10% below its February 12th closing high, failing into correction territory. Right now, the market is broadening out, and we think in an underlying sense the bull market is strengthening, and that will play to our benefit over the longer term, said Kathy Wood of ARK Investment Management on CNBC's closing bell on Monday. We're getting great opportunities in the sell-off to buy the pure play names in the funds, added Wood, who focuses on disruptive technology stocks. High growth names have been pressured lately as rising rant, uh, rates rather make their future profits less valuable today, compressing the stock's lofty valuations. Hedge fund manager David Tepper said on Monday, the recent sharp rise in rates is likely over, and it's hard to be bearish on stocks right now. Tepper noted names like Amazon were starting to look attractive. Good luck. That's all I have to say about that. But, you know, of course, the government is picking winning, uh, winners and losers with this with the pandemic and closing down the businesses and also attempting with all of their might to shoot up the minimum wage so that we get to see the big businesses thrive and surge because they can afford to absorb the minimum wage hike while we see some of their competition get out of the way until currency corrects itself and small business can be friendly once again. So definitely some stuff to watch for on this. But the only thing that kind of pisses me off looking at the uh, markets every day, which I started doing that at the beginning of Contemporary because that was right after the crash and I wanted to see what was going to start happening with that. And we saw the market crash to almost the same level as it was under Barack. But it came back up to now just a year later, sitting at record highs on the market. And the market... While it's not the economy, is a good indicator of what people who play with money every day think that the market is going to be doing in the very near future. So because they start to see the stocks go up, they believe that the economy is going to go up with it. Otherwise, they would be pulling their money back out of the stocks. And with that, I do have to wonder where both the economy and the market would have been had none of this happened. Had we just treated this like we treated H1N1 or the swine flu, where for the most part we saw the media start to give us a little bit of fear porn to try and keep us indoors, but for the most part we just gave them one of these and went along with our lives. Where would we be right now if we saw something like that? Would we be sitting at 33,000, 34,000, 40,000 on the Dow just looking at where the growth was? at the bottom of the market last March to the top of the market today, setting record highs every day once again. Where would we be had the government not come in and artificially shut down business after business, small business after small business? Had they not come through? And had they come in and allowed some of these small business competitors to sit up against Amazon, where would we be? It makes you think and it makes you wonder. Because the government has more of a hand in the free market than I'm comfortable with. But that's what we have to see about that. And it's going to carry forward. Alright, let's see what's going on at the border for the day. From the Daily Wire to start, Biden putting migrant kids in facilities akin to jails, separating them from parents for weeks, reports. From Ryan Saavedra. Democratic President Joe Biden is reportedly putting migrant children in detention facilities that resemble prisons and is separating children for weeks on end, both issues that Democrats and the legacy media 
used to attack former President Donald Trump during Trump's presidency. The number of unaccompanied migrant children detained along the southern border has tripled in the last two weeks to more than 3,250 filling facilities akin to jails as the Biden administration struggles to find room for them in shelters, the New York Times, a former newspaper, reports. The children are being held in facilities managed by the Customs and Border Protection Agency. That they were built for adults, the border agency has been subject to widespread criticism for the horrifying conditions in its federal detention facilities in which the children are exposed to a disease, hunger, and overcrowding. The news comes after Axios reported late last week that the Biden administration was allowing the facility to operate at 100% capacity to meet the demand of the huge surge in illegal immigration taking place on the southern border. These centers were previously allowed to only operate at 50% capacity to adhere to social distancing guidelines. USA Today reported over the weekend that Biden was still sheltering children separated from close family members in federal facilities for weeks on end, something immigrant advocates and attorneys had hoped the new administration would resolve by now. The report noted in its headline that children were being separated from relatives for weeks under Biden. So right off the top, the headline is just a little bit uh, misleading here because Biden himself is not walking down to the border, coming up, grabbing a little female Mexican child, and going, come on, man, all right, we got to get in the cage here, come on. That's not happening, but the reality of it is, is the cages were built under the Obama administration with Biden second in command at the helm, and they are using what they paid for at this point, and anybody who was surprised by this has not been paying attention to what is going on in the news. We, we saw this coming. Independent media especially... But even the legacy media and even some of these missing link mollusk media types like the Daily Wire have been telling you this was going to happen from the first moment that Biden came up. Think, remember back in the debates. Think of the protesters. When Biden got, on the, got up on the stage and there were suddenly mass protests in the crowd asking him, calling him the deporter-in-chief, asking him about the cages. We all knew this was going to happen. Everybody outside of those who get their news from nothing but the mainstream media. And even as we go into the mainstream media, as nothing but CNN, knew that this was coming, knew this was going to happen. And yet people are now sitting here making headlines like they're surprised that this is happening. You get a presidential candidate who becomes president who makes a central plank of his platform that we're not going to be doing anything at the border. We're going to tear down the wall. We're going to end the immigration. And then you wonder why we get a massive caravan coming up to the border. And on top of that, on top of all of that, now we also get to sit and wonder why there are so many more kids in the cages. And I do want to point back out, I have never been down to the border. So I don't know if this is true, but as was, as has been reported to me, that one facility with the cages where they were putting the kids in the foil blankets, making them look like little human burritos. From what I understand from the situation at the border, that was a one-off on top of it. And most of the facilities that they're running like this seem to be more like a daycare. Now, like I said, I've never been down there. I can't confirm that. But I do know people who have been down there, and that's that's what's come back to me is the fact that it's that it is more like a school, more like a daycare, more like 
a place where they can, you know, they've got schools in there, they've got uh, learning classes, kids can sit down and start to learn English. They're not all sitting in the dog kennels, like we saw all over the left-wing news throughout the tenure of the last presidency. So, but either way, the facilities are getting full and I think the Biden administration is starting to look back at this and say, hey, we actually might be in over our head just a little bit here. All right, let's keep going. From KFOX14, Governor Abbott op announces Operation Lone Star to combat drug people smuggling at the border by staff. Nobody even wants to put their name on this one. That's fun. Governor Greg Abbott and the Texas Department of Public Safety launched on Saturday Operation Lone Star to combat the smuggling of people and drugs into Texas. The operation integrates DPS with the Texas National Guard and deploys air, ground, marine, and tactical border security assets to high threat areas to deny Mexican cartels and other smugglers the ability to move drugs and people into Texas. The article quotes, the crisis at our southern border continues to escalate because of Biden administration policies that refuse to secure the border and invite illegal immigration. Said Governor Abbott, Texas supports legal immigration, but will not be an accomplice to the open border policies that cause, rather than prevent, a humanitarian crisis in our state and endanger the lives of Texans. We will surge the resources and law enforcement personnel needed to confront this crisis. This decision follows a meeting last month between Governor Abbott and DPS Director Colonel Steve McGraw, where they discussed strategies to enhance safety and security along the border. So, the federal government is dropping the ball on this, and the state government is stepping in on one of the very, very few functions that the federal government should be allotted, how to protect their borders and how to stop smuggling from coming into our country, how to stop our country from becoming a third world haven for people who need to move people in order to evade authorities in the country that they're coming from. And Abbott has had enough, given the fact that he's on this on the border, and he kind of got his ass kicked a little bit around by the, uh, by the ice storm crisis. He's stepping in, he's doing something about this, and the news doesn't really want to cover it. This is all the way back from Saturday, and this is the first I'm hearing about it today. So we'll definitely be looking at that as developments come from this. From Fox News, DHS chief requests volunteers to help at southern border amid overwhelming migrant surge. From Adam Shaw and Peter Hassan. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas on Monday asked DHS staff to help volunteer to help deal with what he conceded was an overwhelming number of migrants at the border as the administration scrambles to deal with escalating crises. Today, I activated the volunteer force to support Customs and Border Protection as they face a surge in migration along the southwest border, Mayorkas said in an email to staff seen by Fox News. You likely have seen the news about the overwhelming number of migrants seeking access to this country. Along the southwest border, he said, President Biden and I are committed to ensuring our nation has a safe, orderly, and humane immigration system while continuing to balance all the other critical DHS missions. Volunteers will be used in a non-law enforcement capacity with duties including managing property, preparing meals, doing supply runs, prescription medicine runs, housekeeping, and assisting in control rooms. 
Mayorkas noted that the force has been used in 2019 during the border crisis in the spring and summer. In 2019, over 900 volunteers deployed to support their CBP colleagues. During a similar migration surge, Mayorkas said, please consider joining the volunteer force to again provide needed humanitarian support along the southwest border and relief for our CBP colleagues. It is the latest sign that the administration is gearing up for a migrant crisis similar to that which the country faced in 2019 which saw more than 140,000 apprehensions a month at its peak. Border numbers for February will be announced later this week and are expected to show a significant increase over January. The Trump administration put in place a number of protections to deal with the 2019 crisis and end pull factors bringing migrants north. While critics called many of the policies cruel, numbers declined dramatically, and the practice of catch and release by which migrants were released into the interior was largely ended. And of course, we all know at this point that Biden did bring all of that back. So now here we sit. Thousands of people coming to the border because they've heard that America's open for them, that they can come in and they'll just get released back into the country and can disappear. Now, my hope is that if these people get picked up and released to the interior, that they will go and attempt to make it right and make it legal while they're pending their hearing. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. I don't have a crystal ball. I can't look into the future. I can't see what's going to happen from this, but that is my hope that that's what they do if they do this. If I'm given an opportunity like this, I try to make it right at every opportunity that I can. But the reality that all of this is open right now, that we're catching and releasing, that we're bringing people into this country to start to try and make a life for themselves, and their kids, so now we can sit here and put more people in the DACA program so that people at this point can come back and look at and say, well, this is the only home that they've ever known. They've never been back to their own country. And still separating kids at the border, which was supposed to end under this administration. That's what we were promised in the debates. And here we sit with the facilities full to capacity in the midst of a pandemic that everybody keeps screaming about. None of them are afraid of it, but they keep using it as a cudgel to uh, club everybody that they don't like with. And we sit at the point where this is just about a crisis. So we'll be watching the southern border in the weeks to come. It's going to be definitely an interesting conversation between my co-host and I over on the Red Ned Show because she's very, very open borders and I'm not. But And I'm sure that with this happening now, this is going to be something that comes up. So... Definitely something to watch for, something to keep up for. We hope that you'll stay with this channel and continue to watch it with us, but we will keep paying attention. Looking in at other news from the Democratic Party. From the Hill, Sanders urges support for Newsom amid recall effort. From John Bowden. Dude, look at that dude's hair. It's crazier than mine is at this point. Look at that. Senator Bernie Sanders on Monday urged his supporters to rally behind California's embattled governor, Gavin Newsom, who faces a recall campaign. Sanders, in a tweet noted Republican opposition to Newsom, is centered around the governor's crime of trying to stop the spread of COVID-19 in the state. Right-wing Republicans in California are trying to recall Gavin Newsom for the crime of telling people to wear masks and to listening for scientists during COVID 
extremist Republicans have done enough to undermine democracy already. And they have also cut the supply of pudding cups. And I can't get all of my pudding cups and the prices are starting to go up. And, and, and we, should, we should have an allotment of pudding cups for everybody. So, we must, we must all unite to oppose the recall in California. The tweet followed news that the GOP-led recall efforts organizers believe that they have enough signatures to trigger an election. Under California law, just under 1.5 million signatures from state residents are required to start the process. Yeah, it's, I've been through a recall election in this state, and it's, it's going to be long and drawn out at this point. It's something that's going to take years. What was it? It was 2010. When they started the recall in Wisconsin. And they didn't get through with it until 2013, I believe. I'll have to go back and fact check myself on that, but it was 2013, I believe, when they had the recall election. So three years from when they started circulating the petition down to when they had the election again. And then in 2014, Walker ran again. Because his term was up. So the dude campaigned three times in four years. Newsom has faced criticism for some voters in the state over both his COVID-19 restrictions, targeting businesses, as well as the speed of California's vaccine rollout. A poll published in early February found that fewer than a third of the state residents approve of the job that he's done managing the pandemic. The governor was also sharply criticized after attending a birthday celebration at the prestigious French Laundry restaurant last November. After COVID-19 restrictions were put into place, Newsom later said that he had, uh, had he known the number of attendees, he would not have gone. That's fucking bullshit. He got caught. And you know it, and I know it. And bacteria on Mars with a long enough fucking telescope know it. He got caught, and now he's facing this. And I love the fact that Sanders is coming out and saying... Well, all the progressives in the world need to come together and and they, they need to be the one who are supporting Gavin Newsom in this in this trying time. Because let's rearrange this here. From Fox Eleven Los Angeles, progressive The Young Turks host supports the recall of Gavin Newsom. From Alex Michelson and Nicholas Greitzer. As the effort to recall California Governor Gavin Newsom heats up, support for his removal from office has come from an unlikely source, Anna Kasparian, the progressive host and executive producer of The Young Turds. I would not only like to recall Newsom, I think we should focus a little bit on Eric Garcetti, who has been a complete and utter disaster in the Los Angeles County, Kasparian told Fox 11's Alex Michelson during an appearance on The Issue Is. As of February 3rd, some 1.4 million Californians have signed the petition to recall Newsom. Organizers of the effort have until March 10th to collect the roughly 1.5 million signatures required to place a recall on the ballot. Those numbers in support of the recall vote came about the same week a UC Berkeley poll found support for the embattled governor has fallen 18% in the past four months from 64% in September to 46% on Friday. I'm a native Angelino. I was born and raised in California. I love my state. I love the people in this state, Kasparian said. But it is an absolute wasteland right now. Every freeway bridge is full of people living in tents. There's excrement on the sidewalks. It's unsafe. Crime has gone up. And when it comes to the coronavirus, the fish rots from the head down.
Expanding on Newsom's handling of the coronavirus, Gasparian accused the governor of not abiding by his own shutdown standards when it came to his Napa Valley wineries, as well as flouting social distancing guidelines during this now infamous meal at the French Laundry, a dinner first reported by Fox 11 in November. And with all of this, we look at this. We see, first and foremost, they're going after Newsom over the fact that, yes, he got caught at the French Laundry after telling everyone else that they could stay inside. He is the exclusive, uh, exclusive. He is the elite. But unfortunately, with something like this, if he does get recalled, it's very, very likely at this point that there is going to be another Gavin Newsom light progressive Democrat that's going to be standing in his wake. It is California. I know Rick Grinnell has talked about doing this, but after Trump for four years, I don't know if Rick Grinnell is going to have the clout or the ability to come in and do it. I would support him for it, but I don't think he's going to be able to pull it off. Not the way that Arnold did when Arnold was the governor of California. Because even as a liberal Republican, it was a different time and we were not nearly as polarized as we are right now. So the thought is out there and, you know, everybody's coming out there and saying, well, we, we might get a Republican governor of California. The odds are not in your favor. I'm not going to say it can't happen, but the odds are not in your favor from this. So, and given the population of people that live in Los Angeles, Sacramento, and San Francisco, who are most likely going to be the ones who are voting in this election and deciding this election, you are probably going to see another Newsom. Hey, maybe it will be Eric Garcetti. But the homeless thing, they can't sit back and pin this on the coronavirus because that was going on long, long, long before Gavin Newsom even set foot in that, well, no, he was a native of that state, I believe, but before he set foot in the governor's mansion, that was still going on for that. We've been talking about that for three years or more before the coronavirus thing. So you might have to look at some of your legislative policies before you sit back and start saying, see, see, it was Newsom. It's all Newsom. It's all Newsom. Because this is a long, long-running problem. But even when Kasparian is on board, Kasparian versus Sanders, that's an interesting one to watch. Because they seem to be on the same side of most things, and yet they're fighting at this one. One wants to see Newsom go, and the other one wants to see him stay. And it really looks back, because Newsom, I believe, somebody please correct me if I'm wrong, is Nancy Pelosi's nephew. I know he's somewhere connected with Nancy Pelosi, but yeah, he's, he's related to the establishment. And Bernie Sanders, who's supposed to be the anti-establishment independent candidate, is coming up and saying, okay, no, we have to go and support this guy. And Kasparian... For all the faults that I have with Kasparian, as saying, no, fuck this dude, get rid of him. So that's what's happening over on the West Coast. I got a report here from The Blaze I thought you guys would find interesting here. From Chris Enlow, new research finds hiking minimum wage leads to higher prices of consumer goods. No way! It's like we've been saying that since they first started saying, the fight for 15, the fight for 15. Let's see what they have to say here. New research studying the impact of government-mandated minimum wage hikes found exactly what critics of such policies predict. The cost is pushed on to consumers. 
Proponents of hiking the federal minimum wage to $15 an hour argue that every American is entitled to earn a living wage and that no person should work hard each week yet still live below the poverty line. But if the government forces business to increase their wages, Princeton uh, economist Orly C. Ashenfelter and Czech economist Stepan Jarajda found through studying price and wage data from nearly every McDonald's restaurant in the U.S. businesses themselves do not cover the cost of the increased wage. Instead, they found that businesses simply pass that cost on to customers. Our data imply that McDonald's restaurants pass through the higher costs of minimum wage increases in the form of higher prices of the Big Mac sandwich, the researcher said. Indeed, the businesses will incur significant cost increases if politicians hike the federal minimum wage to 15 bucks an hour, which would be more than double the current standard for companies that employ large numbers of low-skilled positions. Monthly payrolls would balloon thousands of dollars per month at a minimum. And then you see more of those little machines pop up in the front of McDonald's, which I actually enjoy using. I normally don't use the self-checkout stuff. But when you use the little kiosk, especially if you want to customize something, like with me, because I can't eat Thousand Island dressing, when I make my Big Mac, I can just do, 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 done. Or if I want to have a special burrito over at Taco Bell with guacamole and shit, do, 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 done. So those, uh, those little machines are actually kind of nice. I don't, I, I like them. I don't do the self-checkout at the grocery store because... I don't feel that the uh, the store should, you know, if I'll use the self-checkout if they give me a discount on it, but I'm not going to do the store's work and pay them the same amount of money to do so. I'm going through and I'm going to pay for my groceries and I'm going to have somebody check them through. That's just me. That's the way I do it. But yeah, as you see more of this fight for 15 stuff, in order to stall the inflation and the payroll costs, then yeah, you're going to start seeing some of these machines pop through. So, definitely something to watch for on that. Other unintended uh, consequences, as Brad Palumbo at the Foundation for Economic Education noted, having more money in one's pocket is not necessarily the most important. Rather, only increasing the purchasing power of one's money increases one's standard of living. From FEE, if a McDonald's cashier's take-home pay increases 20% after a minimum wage hike, but the price for the good or food and other things they spend their wages on increase by a similar amount, they aren't actually any better off. This would happen throughout the economy, not just in fast food. One poignant example comes courtesy of the Heritage Foundation's Rachel Gresler, who studied how minimum wage hikes would impact the cost of childcare, an enormous expense for many working-class families. Child care costs would increase by an average of 21%, an extra $3,728 per year for two children, and up to 43% or more than $6,000 in some states, Heritage reports. The impact would be greatest in lower-cost areas in Louisiana, Oklahoma, and Mississippi. Costs would surge between 37% and 43%. And with that, we look at some of the things that go along with this and some of the things that our generation millennials did to try and overcome some of this and you see some people going out and starting a social media business and actually doing well for themselves off of it there and some of it straddles the line between mlm uh multi-level media market or 
what's it, multi-level marketing is the name of it. It straddles the line with that and actual business entrepreneurship. But people are finding another way to make another stream of income, especially once wages start getting driven down by the fact that your government has shut down massive amounts of small business in this. But raising the minimum wage isn't the way to go with it either. As much as they're sitting back and trying to fight for this and try to force this to happen, all we're going to do is see, and I know the example is extreme, but you know, your $15 gallon of milk is where this all ends, eventually. But we'll definitely watch what happens there. Um, let's see what this article says about jobs. What about jobs? The Congressional Budget Office found in a 2019 report that despite lifting some Americans out of poverty, raising the minimum wage would leave perhaps even more Americans out of a job. In fact, nearly 4 million Americans could lose their jobs, within 1.7 million lost jobs, being the CBO's median estimate. In an average week in 2025, the $15 an hour option would boost the wages of 17 million workers who would otherwise earn less than $15 an hour. Another 10 million workers, otherwise earning slightly more than $15 an hour, might see their wages rise as well, the CBO explained. But 1.3 million other workers would become jobless, according to CBO's median estimate. There is a two-thirds chance that the change in employment would be between zero and a decrease of 3.7 million workers. The number of people with annual income below the poverty threshold in 2025 would fall by 1.3 million, the report added. So, we look at something like this. We don't, I mean, a lot of people have been predicting where this goes. And we've seen this happen before. I mean, we watched the minimum wage hike back in, well, what did they push that through? 2009? No, it was before that because I still lived in Mass. I think it was 2007 when they jumped the minimum wage up and suddenly, you know, at one job I was making slightly more than uh, minimum wage and at the other job I was making under it. So I got a pay raise right after I actually had got a pay raise before because I started at... I was working at a grocery store to try and make some ends meet because it was Massachusetts and it was super expensive. It was ridiculously expensive. So I had taken on uh, two jobs, one where I was making 10 bucks an hour and the other one where I was making, I believe it was 7.25. I just got bumped to 8.25 and the Massachusetts state minimum wage jumped to 10 while I was working there. So my wage went up uh, for that job almost immediately, right after I got a raise. But yeah, it's, you know, people are starting to absorb the cost and say, okay, well, if the minimum wage, like think of all the people who are making 15 bucks an hour right now. If the minimum wage jumps to 15, do they stay at, is it a minimum wage job for them? Or now does the company have to absorb the cost of trying to raise their wage in accordance with the $15 hour minimum wage. There's so much to think about this other than just, we're gonna lift a bunch of people up out of poverty. And as I say, if you don't wanna be in poverty, get a side hustle, do something else. There are plenty of opportunities where you can do and even work from home. But it's something that we can definitely watch as we go along. We gotta keep moving. From Fox News, Manchin pledges to block Biden infrastructure bill if Republicans aren't included. From Megan Henney. 
Senator Joe Manchin, a centrist Democrat, pledged to block President Biden's infrastructure bill if the planned multi-trillion dollar measure does not garner support from any Republicans. In an interview with Axios that aired on Sunday, Manchin said he'll insist GOP lawmakers have more of a voice on Biden's ne uh, next package than they did on the nearly $2 trillion coronavirus relief package that Democrats are passing via the budget reconciliation, which requires only a simple majority. I'm not going to do it through reconciliation, Manchin said. I'm not going to get that bill that cuts them out completely before we start. Manchin, who's become one of the most powerful members of the 50-50 Senate, said he believed that it would be possible to get 10 Republicans to support the infrastructure bill and reach the 60-vote threshold needed to avoid a filibuster. I sure do. Biden is reportedly laying the groundwork for another massive economic relief package with senior Democratic officials, proposing as much as $3 trillion in new spending on a jobs and infrastructure bill that would become the foundation of Biden's Build Back Better program, according to the Washington Post, citing three people familiar with the matter. Which is a good thing, and that's, that's the reason the filibuster is in place right now. So what we do is sit back and have a 50-50 split, or a 51-49 split, or a 53-47 split, as we've seen in the last two Congresses. Then you actually have to take some time and try to sell this to other people, so it's not just 50 plus 1, and that's where we sit. Which is what we need more of in this country, some more compromise. The government was never meant to run fast and run loose. It was meant to have to try and compromise and sell. That's why we have a Senate in the first place, the Great Compromise. So good on Manchin for this, but as we see and as we've seen with the with the stimulus bill, as we've seen with the filibuster, Manchin's name is going to be mud once this gets out to the progressives who want to just see this push through. Manchin's name is going to be mud, and at one point they're going to keep running this dude in the ground. He's just going to come up and say, "You know what?" Fuck you guys. I'm switching parties. We saw it with that dude from Jersey. It happens from time to time. And instantly, the tie-breaking vote comes out of Kamala Harris's hands, and Mitch McConnell, for all of his faults, is the Senate Majority Leader once again. But yes, absolutely. Stuff like this needs to be sold. If they want to go back and spend the money, they need to convince Republicans to vote with them. Or they can just sit in a stalemate forever. Their choice. All right. From NBC3, I believe this is out of Nevada. Judith Whitmer elected to head Democrat Party in Nevada. This comes to NBC3 via the Associated Press. The head of the Clark County Democratic Party has been elected as the chair of the Nevada State Democratic Party. Judith Whitmer defeated Clark County Commissioner Tick Segerbloom 248-216 during a virtual election on Saturday, in which the state party's governing members picked the new officers. Outgoing chair William McCurdy II did not seek re-election. Both Whitmer and Segerblom are aligned with the party progressives who supported Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders' presidential runs, but the Las Vegas Review-Journal reported that most elected Democrat officials backed Segerblom. Sanders released a statement congratulating Whitmer and said she knows Democrats must invest in year-round grassroots organizing focused on principles of economic, social, racial, and environmental justice. In addition to Whitmer, Democrats picked Jacob Allen as the first vice chair, Dr. Zavar Iqbal as second vice chair, Ahmed Ade as secretary, and Lance Arbery as treasurer. 
But see, this didn't go over too well here. And The Intercept reports, entire staff of Nevada Democratic Party quits after Democratic Socialist Slate won every seat. From Akila Lacey and Ryan Grimm. Not long after Judith Whitmer won her election on Saturday to become chair of the Nevada Democratic Party, she got an email from the party's executive director, Alana Mounts. The message from Mounts began with a note of uh, congratulations rather, before getting to her main point. She was quitting. So was every other employee, and so were all the consultants. And the staff would be taking severance checks with them. Thank you very much. On March 6th, a coalition of progressive candidates, backed by the local chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America, took over the leadership of the Nevada Democratic Party, sweeping all five party leadership positions in a contested election that evening. Whitmer, who had been chair of Clark County Democratic Party, was elected chair. The incumbents had prepared for the loss, having recently moved $450,000 out of the party's coffers and into the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee's account. The DSCC will put money towards the 2022 re-election bid of Senator Kathy Cortez Masto, a vulnerable first-term Democrat. While Whitmer's opponents say she was planning to fire them anyway, Whitmer denies the claim. I've been putting in the work, Whitmer told The Intercept for the latest episode of Deconstructed. What they just didn't expect was that we got better and better at organizing and just out-organizing them at every turn. The insurgent progressive wing of the party, and what's known in Nevada as the Reed Machine, a tightly run operation still guided by former Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid, began five years ago when Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders organized support for his 2016 presidential primary run, while Reid was working behind the scenes to help his opponent, Hillary Clinton. Over the next four years, outside organizations like DSA exploded in size and strength. The Sanders campaign focused on organizing tens of thousands of young Latino voters in the state with the goal of activating people whom the party hadn't bothered with before. And it worked. In the 2020 cycle, after investing heavily in Nevada, Sanders won a commanding victory in the Nevada caucus. So, this will be fun to watch. I don't know if you guys like popcorn or not, but I would definitely take some time and pick up some popcorn and watch this one here and see where the Democratic Party goes. And as they come into power, and we did see this, to a lesser extent under the Trump presidency with the GOP. But the, the the chasm is more defined between the progressive wing of the party and the old guard union wing of the Democratic Party because their ideals are so vastly different. And there is going to be a battle for control, especially in the next two years as we sit back and watch what's going to happen in the midterms, who's going to get primaried, who's going to not. And... The old guard wing of the Democratic Party does not want to play ball with the progressive wing of the party. I mean, I've talked to my old guard wing of the Democratic Party parents about what they see and the fact that both my parents have talked about turning their backs on the Democratic Party just based on the progressive takeover and everything that we're seeing with, with stuff like this. And I'm very excited to watch and see what happens with this because progressives are already pissed at what Joe Biden has done in his short time in office. They are already pissed about it. So we will see what happens with this. We will see where this goes and who comes out on top. It's going to be a very interesting midterm, that's for sure. All right, 
Let's keep going here. I've got one from CNN. Biden German Shepherd has aggressive incident and is sent back to Delaware from Kate Bennett. The two German Shepherds belonging to President Joe Biden and First Lady Jill Biden were returned to the Biden family home in Delaware last week after aggressive behavior at the White House involving Major Biden, two sources with knowledge tell CNN. Major, who was adopted by Biden in November of 2018 from a Delaware animal shelter, had what one of the people described as a biting incident with a member of the White House security. The exact condition of the victim is unknown, however the episode was serious enough that the dogs were subsequently moved to Wilmington, Delaware, where they remain. Oh no, what will we report on? Because we can't report on Biden himself, but we can't make fluff pieces about his dog. CNN reached out to the White House for comment and did not immediately receive a reply. Major, who is three years old, is the younger of the two Biden dogs and has been known to display agitated behavior on multiple occasions, including jumping, barking, and charging at staff and security, according to people CNN spoke with about the dog's demeanor. At the White House, the older Biden German Shepherd champ is approximately 13 and is slowed down physically due to his advanced age. There you go. You put a German Shepherd that was just recently adopted in front of the camera all the time, and he has no idea what to do. So he's going back to Delaware. Well, at least he's not going to the farm. Because that wouldn't surprise me in the least. All right. From the Blaze, pro-life evangelical group that backed Biden, shocked to find out they've been used and betrayed by a pro-abortion president. Shocking. Shocking. It's like the record was there for 47 years. From Chris Field. A group of pro-life evangelical leaders who banded together to support the election of President Biden in the 2020 election are now expressing shock and dismay that the Democratic politician, who has towed his party's line on abortion, is somehow betraying their movement and using taxpayer money to pay for abortions. No, seriously. Those of us in independent media told you this was going to happen. You were told loudly that this is what you were going to see. During the 2020 election, pro-life evangelicals for Biden declared their support for the pro-abortion candidate and put out a petition encouraging fellow believers to back the Democratic nominee. As pro-life evangelicals, we disagree with Vice President Biden and the Democratic platform on the issue of abortion, the group said, but we believe a biblically shaped commitment to the sanctity of human life compels us to uh, a consistent ethic of life that affirms the sanctity of life from beginning to end. Sanctity, life, sanctity, life, sanctity, life. The petition went on to say that they were also concerned about racism, poverty, health care, child care, and minimum wage, but they were not going to give up on the life issue. We believe that on balance, Joe Biden's policies are more consistent with the biblically shaped ethic of life than those of Donald Trump, the group said. Therefore, as we continue to urge different policies on abortion, we urge evangelicals to elect Joe Biden as president. And Joe Biden said, Come on, man. Thank you for your vote, man. Uh, hey, hey, Planned Parenthood. Hey, here's some more money. Hey. Get more people to vote for me. 
Well, under this, I need campaign funds. Well, it looks like their urgings have been not, as they're realizing it, much to their shock and dismay, in an open letter posted over the weekend, the pro-lifers who invested in the Biden campaign now say they feel used and betrayed by the Biden administration and decried the fact that the COVID relief package the Senate passed over the weekend excludes the Hyde Amendment, which prevents tax money from being used to fund abortions. All right, I have a message for pro-life evangelicals for Joe Biden. And I actually have the same message for MAGA Twitter and the same message for progressive college students who worship at the altar of Bernie Sanders. The same message actually applies to everybody who has this much support for a politician. Your politician does not give a flying fuck about you. They will come out and make you big, deep, grand promises every two years or four years or six years. And once that vote is cast, you are dead to them. They don't care. They don't care. Which is why I don't... I, I love the Libertarian Party. And the fact that they've got people like Shane Hazel comes out and says, I'm going out to spoil the election so that uh, I, uh, we can pull the Republican Party, the Democrat Party closer to liberty. Yeah, that's all nice and well and good. But once again, it's, it's not about looking at what they promise that they're going to do in order to get the vote. It's about looking at what they have done, what they've done in the past. Because once that vote is cast, they have no reason to make a promise to you anymore. And I will credit former President Trump over the fact that he did keep a lot of the promises that he set out to do. A lot more than his predecessors did. I've always said he was probably about a C-minus presidency as far as policy went. He was an average run-of-the-mill, one-term C-minus president. He got a slightly better score than Jimmy Carter did. But you're shocked that you elected a Democrat in a progressive era where pro-choice and shout your abortion is a, main, a major party platform plank and that now Joe Biden is supporting abortion. I can't feel sorry for you at this one. All right, I got another one here from CNN. Kentucky judge dismisses charges against Breonna Taylor's boyfriend, Kenneth Walker III from Amir Vera and Rebecca Rice. A Kentucky judge on Monday dismissed charges against Kenneth Walker III, the boyfriend of Breonna Taylor, who was killed by police when a no-knock search warrant was executed on her home in Louisville in March 13th of 2020. Walker was accused of shooting a Louisville police officer during the flawed forced entry raid. Walker, thinking officers were intruders, fired one shot as they broke down the door. Officers returned fire, riddling the apartment with bullets and killing the 26-year-old in the process. Jefferson County Circuit Court Judge Olu Stevens dismissed the charges on Monday with prejudice, meaning Walker can't be charged with the same offenses related to the shooting according to court documents. CNN has reached out to Walker's attorney, Robert uh, Eggert, for comment. 
No officer who took part in the raid was charged for Taylor's actual killing. Only one of the three officers, Brett Hankinson, was charged in connection with the shooting. A grand jury charged Hankinson in September with three counts of felony wanton endangerment for blindly firing 10 shots into Taylor's home. Hankinson was fired on June 23rd and has pleaded not guilty. So his charges are going away, which does make me question as to whether or not he was the one that was still actually doing the shooting. There's so much conflicting information about this one that I don't even want to begin to opine as to what happened other than the fact that there are too many laws and the government has too much power to go in and execute a warrant without knocking, without showing the warrant. And you're really, once again, for drugs, really, there are too many laws in this country. If we undid a large amount of the laws in this country, relegating them only to crimes that have a victim, a clear-cut victim, and not what consenting adults put into their body, then we don't have to see a lot of these no-knock warrants and a lot of these no-knock raids. But some people say that Taylor was sleeping. Some people saying that she was in the hall. Some people say that she was the one that was shooting. All I know is somebody's dead, somebody shot a bunch of shots, and nobody knows who it was. And we still have too many laws. All right, from the hill. Nation takes baby steps to normalcy after a year in lockdown from Peter Sullivan. New federal guidelines released Monday saying it is safe for fully vaccinated people to gather indoors with each other without masks, adding to hope that a return to normalcy or something close to it might be getting closer as the nation hits one year in a lockdown state. No one knows exactly when it will be normal again, if ever, given how the coronavirus pandemic has elevated concerns about contagious diseases in general. Boy, am I glad that we didn't have the same concern back in the 15 and 1600s when you had only a 60% chance of surviving the trip across the fucking ocean. And I know it's exaggerated, but Family Guy made the joke of, you know, you get the splinter underneath your fingernail, and, well, it was nice knowing you guys. There is also quite a bit of uncertainty going forward, especially as variants of the virus continue to circulate. Still, experts are more optimistic than they have been since the pandemic began, as political leadership plot a pla uh, path forward, movie theaters in New York reopen, and the Chicago Cubs prepare to welcome the fans to Wrigley Field for opening day, albeit at a 20% capacity. Well, good, it'll be better than putting a cardboard cutout of a fucking dead kid who's sleeping in his grave in the stands. I'm still disgusted by that. I cannot give any support to Major League Baseball. Because of that. That was that was a step too far for me. I think we're on a trajectory to be in a really good shape this summer, certainly in the July time frame, said Eric Topol, professor of molecular medicine at Scripps Research. The key to normality is getting people vaccinated, and different time frames have been projected. Former FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb said last week that he thinks the vaccination appointments will be wide open as soon as April. CDC Director Rochelle Walensky said last week that a somewhat longer timeline saying it would take three or four months to vaccinate the country. Even with the vaccination, people are urged to take care. The CDC guidelines issued a mon uh, on Monday say the vaccinated people should keep 
wearing a mask in public, and went around unvaccinated people from multiple households. While experts say vaccination is likely significantly reduces transmission of the virus, it also does not entirely eliminate it, meaning that vaccinated people should still take some precautions when around unvaccinated people. All right, guys, this is it. You were good little boys and girls, so now we're going to give you some of your freedom back. Baby steps, though. We're only going to give you a little bit of your freedom back, but just just a little bit. Come on. No, no, you can, you can do it. Be, be a little bit free. Continue to worship us, but still be, be a little bit free, okay? All right. And I've got one here from NPR. CDC says it's safe for vaccinated people to do these activities. Oh, good. The government's giving us permission now. Doesn't that make you feel safe and special? The government loves you. Please worship the government and make sure you give your money. To National Progressive Radio, they need your donations because the tax money that they get just doesn't cover all their costs and give them great microphones. This is from Allison Aubrey and Rachel Treisman. The CDC has issued new guidance for vaccinated people, giving the green light to resume some pre-pandemic activities and relax precautions that have been in place. Specifically, the new guidance says people who are fully vaccinated can visit indoors with other fully vaccinated people. Oh, oh, can they? Without wearing masks or social distancing, people are considered fully vaccinated two weeks after they've gotten a second shot of the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines or two weeks after receiving the single-dose Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Vaccinated people can also visit unmasked with people from another household who are not yet vaccinated, as long as those people are at low risk of serious illness from the virus. However, the agency said vaccinated people should continue to wear masks when they're in public, avoid crowds, and take other precautions when gathering with unvaccinated people who are at high risk of serious illness from COVID-19. The new guidance also allows fully vaccinated individuals to work testing and quarantining following a known COVID-19 exposure, as long as they're not experiencing symptoms. The CDC said this new guidance is a first step to returning to everyday activities. There's accumulating evidence to show that people who are fully vaccinated are less likely to become infected and also potentially less likely to spread the virus to others, agency officials wrote in a press release. There you go. You did what the government said, and now you get to you get to go be free. You get to be good little boys. The good little boys and girls. Go out and, you know, go hang out with people now. You, you've earned it. That's what the CDC is saying to you here. But honestly, and this is especially where I want to get to on this one, because really, these people don't care. And once again, I said it earlier on in the show. I've said it in earlier shows, but... These people who virtue signal and say, I am locking down because the coronavirus are out doing vacations, going to South Carolina, going to Florida, going to all these fun places. Because, hey, travel's cheap. Nobody wants to go on an airplane. They don't care. And this comes to us from Fox 11 out of Los Angeles. Private UTLA Facebook group warns teachers not to post vacation pics amid union push for safe return to class. From KJ Hiromoto. A screenshot obtained by Fox 11 shows UTLA teachers being warned not to share spring break vacation photos to social media as the union continues to push for safe return to in-person classes. 
The screenshot appears to be from a private Facebook page titled UTLA Facebook Group Members Only, and it has about 5,700 members. In one of the posts from the private group, teachers from the union are being asked to not share vacation photos or show that they're traveling outside the country. No, no. We keep telling the parents it's not safe to send their kids back. We keep telling the media that's not safe to send the kids back. So please, please don't just go out there and be willy-nilly out there and wild in the world. The post, obtained by Fox 11's Bill Malugan, reads, Friendly reminder, if you're planning any trips for spring break, please keep that off social media. It's hard to argue that it's unsafe for in-person instruction if parents and the public see vacation photos and international travel. No way! No way! It's hard to say that you're afraid for your life for stepping foot in a classroom when you're taking tequila shots off a bartender in Mexico. I can't understand why that would be a conflict of interest. The warning between the group members came just days after UTLA voted to not send teachers back to in-person learning unless the union's shortlist of demands is met by the district. UTLA President Cicely Mayart Cruz said last that more than 90% of the nearly 25,000 union teachers being polled voted yes on rejecting the return of in-person learning. The ballot obtained by a Fox 11 earlier this month read like this. A yes vote means you agree with UTLA's leadership and will join your union brothers, sisters, and siblings in organizing to resist a forced return to school sites until the three conditions for safety mentioned above have been met. A no vote means you're willing to physically return to your school or place of work under unsafe conditions. I love the language of this. Even if the infection rates are still in the purple tier without vaccinations and without all the safety conditions in uh, place, such as PPE, physical distancing, ventilation, or daily cleaning. <sighs> yeah, it... I'm sorry, but when you're starting to see unions come out and say, please don't post your vacation photos, because otherwise we can't tell people that, it's, that we're scared to go back to the classroom. You know that nobody gives a fuck about this. I'm sorry. All right, I got one here from Not the Bee that came out of the Gilded server. I believe it was R. Bolt who was the one that put it in here. People are starting to use the lefties' nonsensical language against them, and it's absolutely beautiful. Meet hashtag super straight and hashtag blue anon. Yeah, I saw a little bit about this yesterday. I'm only hearing about blue anon as of yesterday, which is because I'm a little bit uh, far behind on some of my weekly podcasts from last week. But definitely something to look at here. Let's see what Not the Bee has to say. One of the biggest issue conservatives have faced in recent decades is a lack of control over shaping language. C, everyone right of Marx believes in objective scientific de uh, definitions. For example, a tree is a tree. For the left, however, a tree might not be a tree. A tree might be an animal. A man is a woman. An expensive death sentence is affordable health care. War is peace. Ignorance is strength. Now you begin to understand me. Don't worry. Eurasia's always been at war with Oceania. And this is how we've come to a point where most labels in mainstream culture are created by the politically correct left, whether it be income inequality, social justice, inclusion, cultural appropriation, or anti-racism. 
But with their destruction of meaning, the left's ideology and language and reality can be molded in whatever form you fancy is starting to backfire on them. It turns out when you say nothing is true, even your own statement becomes false. Go away, advertisement. We'll be fixing that here in the near future. And so, after years of waiting, the right has begun to parody the left by playing their own stupid game. This led to the creation of two terms this week that began trending, super straight and blue anon. The term super straight developed out of the increasing insistence that men must date trans women, which is a way of saying that biological men must date biological men who identify as women, or else they're transphobic. I'm dead serious. As a man, I'm apparently hateful if I don't want to date, marry, and be intimate with another biological male. The argument is that men should want to date both biological women and biological men identifying as women, because the two are one in the same. In response, a bunch of people started identifying super straight, or a person who is only attracted to those biologically born and still identifying as the opposite sex, from their own biological sex, period. They even invented their own LGBT flag and colors. And yes, by the way, I am a super straight male. I only like the women, although if you see some of my Twitter activity, you might question that. But I can assure you that that's mostly for trolling and trying to make other men uncomfortable and not actually because I want to put my wiener somewhere where it doesn't belong. So that's going on. And then they have Blue Anon going on as well, which I'm not going to read all the way into the article to talk about it. But Blue Anon was the one, and this is probably going to get my YouTube channel shut down because apparently they're looking for people using this term. But uh, the hashtag Blue Anon went along talking about the fact that uh, there are people out there that believe that there is a secret underground cabal of Nazi sympathizers who is out to take over the government and needs to be stopped by a religious figure at all costs. And it does sound very much like the QAnon theory. You know, the secret cabal of satanic pedophile ring worshippers. So yes, I can absolutely see where they're coming from this. But yes, absolutely take some time and use their, uh, use their own language against them. And I do love this meme here. I don't want to date a trans person. No, you have to, transphobe. Super straight person. No, you can't just make your own sexuality. I love it. I do. So definitely something to watch here. We'll be talking about this on Monday too. Absolutely. All right. Last one here, then we'll do Twitter trending and head on out of here. From the blaze, Burger King's ironic tweet, women belong in the kitchen becomes a nuclear public relations nightmare. From Carlos Garcia. An attempt to publicize a pro-woman campaign fell flat on its face when Burger King faced an online tsunami of outrage after attempting to twist a common sexist phrase. Burger King announced a program meant to encourage and support women to seek culinary careers in order to combat the disproportionate gender representation in the restaurant industry. They did that by tweeting this. According to Burger King, women belong in the kitchen. Oh, that is so fucking based. Feminists and others on the left instantly flew into a rage over the phrase often used to demean women. But the tweet was followed up by two others that explained why the account was using the phrase in order to support women. If they want to, of course, yet only 20% of chefs are women, 
We're on a mission to change the gender ratio in the restaurant industry by empowering female employees with the opportunity to pursue a culinary career, the account added in a second tweet. Yeah, but nobody saw the second tweet because that wasn't the one that got shared around everywhere, you guys. It was just the first one. We're proud to be launching a new scholarship program, which will help female Burger King employees pursue their culinary dreams. And you know what? Between this and this, I think that's less than 280 characters. They could have made that one tweet. And instead, they did that. <laughs> oh, we are in the best timeline in the world. We are in the best timeline. And then, of course, because they had to, they went scrambling for an apology. Burger King UK tweets out, We hear you. We got our initial tweet wrong and we're sorry. Our aim is to draw attention to the fact that only 20% of professional chefs in the UK kitchens are women. And help to change that by awarding culinary scholarships. We will do better next time. Nice. So, that's what we saw from that. Which I've, um, I've seen this first tweet circulated around in my Discord, the Generational Gap Discord. I think it's in the Gilded, too, at this point. If not, I'm going to be changing that in the near future. But, uh, yeah, that was that was an amazing PR blunder. That's amazing to watch. And it gives me another reason not to go to Burger King. All right, and that is going to be it for the day as far as the news goes. But on the end of Tuesday show, we always do Twitter trending. So let's see what's trending for the day here. Off to the Explore tab. Trending. Trending on Twitter today. We will skip the Tuesday vibe and Tuesday motivation stuff. Starting with Betty. Betty, an 82-year-old, receives hundreds of birthday wishes after her daughter said she's alone. If anyone has a minute, would you please say happy birthday to my mom? She's alone. She's 82. And I can show them to her when I go see her tomorrow for her birthday. Her name is Betty. Thank you. She would be thrilled. Now see, that's wholesome. I like that. We'll do a quote tweet on that right now. We can do nice stuff on this show. I can't. It, it's more than just screaming into a microphone about how bad the government is. We can do nice stuff here. So, happy birthday to Betty. All right, next one. Cyborg. HBO Max mistakenly streamed part of Zack Snyder's Justice League instead of Tom and Jerry, leaking never-before-seen footage of Batman, Flash, Cyborg, Mira, and Deathstroke the day before Cyborg's teaser trailer. So that's what we got. Cyborg, the Justice League. I'm not that big on DC, so I don't know much about the character. I know that he was in Teen Titans, but I don't know anything else about the character.
But there's your leaked images. All right, Piers Morgan. Piers Morgan draws criticism for his comments about Meghan Markle's interview with Oprah during Monday's Good Morning Britain. By the way, I don't care about what Meghan Markle had to say to Oprah. I don't care about what a millionaire celebrity had to say to a billionaire celebrity about oppression. That's why I haven't covered it on either program. Because I don't care. And none of the rest of you should either. We kicked the British out of this country 240 years ago. Uh, Piers Morgan, a small man who needs attention at all times, walks off the set of ITV's Good Morning Britain when he's called out by fellow presenter Alex Beresford. Let's have a look. What has happened with Prince Harry in this situation? He walked behind his mother's coffin at a tender, tender age in front of the globe. That is going to shape a young boy for the rest of his life. So I think that we need to all take a step back and I understand that you don't like Meghan Markle. You've made it so clear a number of times on this programme. A number of times. And I understand that you've got a personal relationship with Meghan Markle or had one and she cut you off. She's entitled to cut you off if she wants to. Has she said anything about you since she cut you off? I don't think she has, but yet you continue to trash her. OK. I'm done with this. No, no, no. Sorry. No. Oh, uh, Sorry. So, do you know what? That's pathetic. You can trash me, maybe not my no, own. No, no, no. See you later. I'm being. Sorry. Can't this do this. This is absolutely diabolical behaviour. You. He I'm sorry, but Pierce spouts off on a regular basis, and we all have to sit there and listen. 6:30 to 7 o'clock yesterday was incredibly hard to watch. And, yeah, they're getting all pissed off at him because, for whatever reason, they care about the royal family over there. All right. Trent Brown. It looks like the Patriots are expected to make a trade for the Raiders' outside tackle, Trent Brown. And the last one that we'll read today is Lauren Boebert for prison. I wonder what she did this time. We're probably not even going to know either because the hashtag has been hijacked and they're not going to do anything. Oh, it's because TG says, I feel like getting hashtag Lauren Boebert for prison trending today. Madam Speaker, tear down this wall. But don't worry, guys. Walls don't work. Ah, This is... This is what happens with people who worship the government. All right. Well, that's all we have here for Twitter trending. Lauren Bober for prison. That's a great way to end this program. But, yeah, let's get the hell out of here. So, let's switch up the scene and let's go. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, who came by and hung out with... Uh, with us for the day here. We'll be heading back here, watching the news, see what's happened with this throughout the day today and see what they do, see what happens on the immigration front, the minimum wage front, and let's see if they actually do get Lauren Boebert uh, for prison trending and what comes out of that. I'm sure that she'll make a statement. She does like to talk, so we'll definitely be watching that. We will be back here tomorrow for more Contemporary and more news. Until then, I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary. Take care.